0: you would turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 7, John chapter 7, we're picking up in verse 14. John seven 14, we'll read down to verse 24. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcised a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me, because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Jesus, who always aims to glorify God. God, so we pray more than anything else, that as we go into Your Word, that You would be glorified, that the name of Jesus would be magnified. Because this isn't about rhetoric, this isn't about nice sounding words, this isn't about what I have to say. This is ultimately about the glory of Jesus Christ. We come each and every week to behold Jesus. So we pray that you would show us Christ in the passage this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. There are laws and rules and regulations that pretty much govern everything that we do, almost everything. I mean, from how do we drive our cars to how we cross the street to the use of recreational parks to even uh, our, our homes and even restaurant behavior. There are laws that just about and rules that govern just about everything, right? And you may have issues with that if you don't like to be told what to do, but. They're intended to regulate and control behavior. One website in particular defines laws as rules that bind all people living in a community. So laws protect our general safety and they ensure our rights as citizens from uh, against abuses from other people or organizations or even from the government itself. The purpose of law is to preserve freedom and moral agency. We have laws to protect freedom by restraining the desire For us to do as we please, because let's be honest, not everything that we want to do is always a good thing. Our passage this morning concerns itself with law, specifically the law of God or the commandments of the Lord. Not only were God's commandments considered laws that were binding on the people of God they were expected to be followed without exception, but they also communicated a special relationship between God's people and God himself. Now in the passage, Jesus is considered to be a lawbreaker, which angers a lot of people, especially when He claims to have a unique and special relationship with God that nobody else seems to have as well, though, that, though it is accessible to them. But what Jesus shows is that it is the spirit of the law what matters most, right? Because no matter how much we abide by the rules and the laws, at the end of the day, right, they can't do anything to change our hearts, we do the right thing because we want to do, because we should do the right thing, because we want to avoid the consequences. But God's laws are different in a sense because they, they concern themselves with the heart of the individual. And this is what the people are missing. And I hope to show that as we proceed through the passage. So, the first thing we'll see is that the spirit of the law glorifies God. So, picking up in verse 14, it says, The middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So, Jesus answered them pretty insightfully, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. So, Jesus begins to teach in the temple. People are amazed and they're perplexed. They're perplexed by his level of understanding of the Scriptures, perhaps even his masterful uh, interpretation of the Scriptures. And you would assume that somebody with such a vast or incredible knowledge would have studied under somebody, but they come to the conclusion that he hasn't studied under somebody. And so, where does he get all this learning from, right? It's no different than what you and I might expect when we come across somebody who is incredibly knowledgeable of a particular subject, right? When you come to know something really well, it's because either… You have studied for a long time, or maybe a particular, under teachers or professors or under one particular individual, or maybe you've read a lot on a particular subject, so you're self-taught. But Jesus, Jesus is not even self-taught. Jesus never graduated from divinity school, but He makes it clear that His teaching is not His. It doesn't come from Him, but it comes from His Father who is in heaven. And so Jesus' teaching and His interpretation of the Scriptures is not something novel, it's not something brand new, because it's a God's, the Father's interpretations of the Scriptures. In His teaching, Jesus, like many other teachers would at His time, that He doesn't point to other teachers or other rabbis. He doesn't say, Rabbi says this and this, or this teacher said this, or this person said this and this, but Jesus always says, thus saith the Lord. So Jesus, remember, Jesus is the one who interprets the Scriptures to Cleopas and his his friend on the road to Emmaus. Jesus is the one who opens the minds of the disciples to understand the Scriptures. Now, what's encouraging for us is that the Lord gives to us His Holy Spirit through whom we can rightly understand His Word. In John 16, verse 13, Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears will speak. He will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Right? The Spirit of God is what illumines us to understand the Scriptures. Now, it doesn't mean that there is no need for you to be taught under individuals or teachers who have spent decades learning and interpreting and studying the Scriptures, if you feel so inclined to do that. But the point is, is that the Spirit of God is who is the one who opens your mind to understand the truth of the Scriptures. And when you understand the truth of the Scriptures accurately, then you'll know that something is required of you. Truth doesn't matter all that much if you never really do anything with it or something is done about it. When the Spirit illumines a person to understand the Scriptures, and what I, what I mean by that is, and I don't think the Scriptures deny this, is that when the Scriptures are rightfully understood you are inclined to respond in some way, shape, or form. Maybe that's in the form of application. Maybe that's a form of prayer. Maybe that's in the form of sharing what you've learned with somebody else. Maybe that's just simply glorifying the Lord. When you rightly understand the Scriptures through the Holy Spirit, you're inclined to respond in some way. So an individual who has the most knowledge of the Scriptures, but is never inclined to do something about what he's understood, has failed to understand the Scriptures accurately. In Psalm 119, which is an entire psalm, the longest psalm of all the psalms, but it is a psalm on the Word, the psalmist says, "'Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart.'" who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Right there, the psalmist is communicating just his... An affectionate knowledge, right? He knows the law of the Lord, he knows the commandments, he knows the precepts, the testimonies of the Lord, he knows the word of the Lord, but he's inclined to do something about it. He prays to the Lord to help him to keep the testimonies and the commandments of the Lord. And so he he embraces them, he cherishes them. And so Jesus, the Jesus, the teaching of Jesus is not. Something novel, it's not something new, but he's just teaching from the Scriptures, which are written by God, and therefore they're God's very words. They're God's teaching of the Scriptures. And so Jesus is getting to the heart or the spirit of the Word. Jesus is not simply just opening up a scroll and reading through the Exodus and reading the Ten Commandments, but Jesus is interpreting the Scriptures for the people. He's getting to to the inherent purpose and the heart of the Word. And this is what is baffling the people. And so then, we're going to skip over verse 17, and we'll return to that in a moment. But we're going to jump to verse 18. Verse 18 tells us that the one who, Jesus says, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Anyone who comes and teaches on his own authority is seeking his own glory. That is a approval or recognition or the praise of others. But Jesus, you might remember from a previous sermon, Jesus functions as, a, as an ambassador. He's seeking the glory of the one who sent him, and that is God. An ambassador is genuine if his only goal is to bring honor to the one who sent him. So Jesus will not misspeak. Jesus will not misinterpret. Jesus will not fail to deliver the message that he's been given because he's ultimately seeking the glory of of God the Father. And in this context, he's pursuing the glory of God through teaching the law. He's opening the scriptures to help people to understand what their intended purpose is. And so the glory of God is a driving factor behind all that Jesus says and all that He does. And we can trust Him because He delivers the message accurately and faithfully. In 2 Corinthians ten eighteen. The Apostle Paul says, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. And then Jeremiah 9.23, I love this. Thus says the Lord, let not not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So the Apostle Paul, in, in his mind, the one who is approved is not the one who commends himself, but is the one whom the Lord commends. So the one with the greater honor, obviously, is the one who does the commending, the one who sends. Right? There's the, the commender and the commende, the one who is commended goes and brings honors to the one who commended him. And so Jesus is approved and commended by the Father. We see this uh, when Jesus received the Spirit of God upon His baptism, affirming that Jesus is approved and sent by God, and then there's even the voice of God crying from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And as a son of the Holy Father, no one understands and no one knows the Father better than He does and that is why Jesus will always point people to the divine attributes and qualities that he shares with his heavenly father. So Jesus' aim is to glorify the one who sent him and with whom he shares this intimate relationship with. And so what Jesus tries to clarify, it is, it's that it is the spirit of the law that matters most. It's not that the law shouldn't be obeyed, right? That's incredibly important. But what he's trying to get at is that, this, that the law concerns itself with the heart of a person. Like, where is your heart? Where is your true allegiance? Whom are you actually trying to follow and, and pursue and seek and to glorify and to please? And only then, only when the heart is in the right place, can you truly honor the Lord and glorify God. I mean, you see this on the Sermon on the Mount, where, where Jesus looks at the laws, where He says, do not murder. He says, but I tell you, do not even be angry with your brother. Right? It's easy to follow the law, to follow the letter of the law, do not murder. But He's getting to the heart of the matter and saying, don't even be angry with your brother, because even that is similar to, to murder, where he says, do not commit, or the law the says, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, do not even look at another person with lustful intent in your heart, because that is spiritual adultery. That is adultery in the heart. And that is what God had always intended to communicate to the people, that the heart matters. And this is what the people, the crowds in the passage failed to see. But then that leads to the second point, that is that the spirit of the law not only glorifies God when it's rightly and spiritually and through the heart it is obeyed, but the spirit of the law also, also cares about people. So continuing the passage of verse 19, Jesus asks the crowd, has not Moses given you the law? Yet, none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcised a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath, I made a man's whole body well. Right, there's the problem. Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter. He asks a rhetorical question, has not Moses given you the law? And the answer is, yes, of course, Moses has given you the law. But then he tells them, you don't even keep the law, which would have been offensive to them. And how is it that they are not keeping the law? Well, Exodus twenty thirteen says, do not murder. And that's what the religious are wanting to do. They're looking to kill Jesus, who is an innocent man. And failing to uphold one aspect of the law means that you fail in upholding the entire law. So that is why Jesus says, you're not even keeping the law because you're seeking to kill an innocent man. And this is connected to what Jesus says earlier in the passage of verse 17 that I said I would return to. Verse 17 says, Jesus says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. What Jesus is telling the crowd who is is questioning and being perplexed about where he got his learning from is that the way to know whether or not Jesus' teaching is coming from Him or or, or, or if it's coming from the pursuit of His own glory or if it's coming from the pursuit of the glory of God is if they desire to do God's will. That's how you determine where Jesus' teaching is coming from. Do you desire, does the person desire to do God's will or glorify God or to glorify Himself? because a person's desire to do God's will will not be in contrary to what Jesus teaches. And here they are, they're looking to kill Jesus. That's what they want to do. They want to murder God's son. That, of course, isn't God's will. And that's that's the reason. That's ultimately the reason why they are not able to tell where he's getting his teaching from, because they're looking, they're evaluating things wrongly. Even though Jesus has a divine appointment uh, with the cross, you mean, to be crucified to the cross, and that was God's will, but what the people are desiring to do is to get rid of Jesus once and for all. The people are not wanting to do God's will, though they think they are, because they have a problem. The thing is that they have a problem with the Sabbath, what Jesus had done on the Sabbath. Back in chapter 5, if you remember, Jesus healed a man who was at the pool. He made his body well that was the problem. That kind of triggered everything. That kind of triggered, that, that didn't trigger. It, the Animosity began before that, but that brought the animosity and the anger towards Jesus to a whole different level because they considered that a work. Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath. That's, that's a no-no. You're breaking the law. Not only that, but Jesus told the individual who was healed to take up his mat and to go home. And so that is the reason why they were looking to kill him. And not only that, but Jesus also points to his relationship with the Father, a relationship that they could have had and should have had, but they don't. But Jesus emphasizes his unity with the Father, his divinity with the Father. And that, of course, angers them. But the people were after the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law, they didn't care about the heart. When Jesus healed the man, uh, this man on the Sabbath, it generated astonishment, but didn't. But it didn't produce an astonishment that would lead to, to, to praising and to glorifying God, but it led to an astonishment, it, it, it generated an astonishment that produced uh, condemnation towards Jesus, because he did this one work on the Sabbath. And yet, Jesus says, if it so happens that a boy's time of circumcision falls on the Sabbath, well, then don't they'll keep the law and they'll circumcise the boy on a Sabbath because there's a point that they don't break the law. And so do you sense kind of the, the hypocrisy there? They wanted to keep the law, but if, if, if the law requires the boy to be circumcised and it happens to be on a Sabbath, well, then that's considered a work. Well, they'll do it anyway, and that's the right thing that they should do. But here is Jesus performing a healing on the Sabbath, considered a work, and yet they seek to kill him. Again, they're following the letter of the law. And they're failing to see that that the law itself cares about people. And Jesus, of course, cares about people. When God gave his laws to his people, they were not only intended to distinguish his people from the rest of the nations around them, but they were also intended to be a way of communicating commitment. By God giving his law to the people and the people receiving the law and obeying the law, that was a commitment both parties were committed to one another. That is why the Lord says, when you obey the laws, well, then you, there's blessing. When you disobey the laws, well, then there's cursing. The most important prayer to the Jews, or in Judaism, is the Shema, which, essentially, which technically just means here. And that's found in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God is not looking for people to follow a set of rules just for the sake of following them, but he's commanding them to love him. That's the purpose of the law, because even in, in, in this prayer, in the Shema, you can see that God is after the heart. People, God wants people's affections. That's why he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Right? God is after the heart. God is after the affections. He wants people to love and embrace His commandments. That's what we see. What we saw earlier in the psalm. There's a love for the commandments, and they are to be embraced affectionately so that they govern every aspect of your life, including the raising of your children. The Lord essentially wants people to be like King David, who was described as a man after God's own heart. And Jesus affirms the Shema in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-four. The Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, and they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus summarizes all of, the, of God's laws into two. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This isn't just, this isn't just, and this is a loving God. This is, God is requiring our all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to be fully engaged in loving Him and pursuing Him and seeking Him and aiming to please the Lord. That is what the Lord is after, people who are after His heart. But then what does the Lord say about His people? In Isaiah 2.13, concerning His people, the Lord said, these people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is is a commandment taught by men. And Jesus affirms that also in Matthew 15. The problem with the people in the crowd is that they had no heart to follow the Lord. God wants people to pursue his heart by faith. The pursuit of God through external obedience only makes you religious. Pursuing the heart of God through faith, when your heart is fully given to it, makes you a child of the living God. Jesus is after God's heart, and that is what we should ultimately be after as well. Jesus then concludes by telling them to stop judging by appearances, but judge with right judgment. In other words, he says, stop making judgments by the letter of the law. Instead, show greater concern for the spirit of the law. Does not the law concern itself with the heart of a person? And the heart and the affections being owned by God. Does not the law of God concern itself with love of man? The law of God is meant to put God in the right place in our hearts and to express the dignity and the value of human life. If you think about the Ten Commandments, the first four are about the Lord. It's it's intended to communicate the, the separateness of God, that there is no other God like God, that there is no other God besides God. And because there is no other God besides our Lord, then He must be first in our hearts and we must be fully surrendered to Him. And then the rest of the commandments concern our relationship with other people. It's about treating others with the inherent dignity and value that is there because God created them in His image. So don't devalue another person by stealing from them, by coveting their spouse, or by murdering them. If the people were concerned with doing God's will here in the passage, if they were concerned with doing God's will by faith, then they would have seen Jesus not as a Sabbath breaker, but as a Sabbath fulfiller. That is what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has fulfilled all the commandments of God on our behalf, right? Because we can't. We are unable to no matter how much we try, but Jesus has accomplished that for us. The Son of God lived a perfect life of obedience unto the Father, not only because that was commanded of him, but because he was after the heart of his heavenly Father. And Jesus then went to the cross, died on that cross, but then was resurrected after he was buried so that anyone who believes and trusts in Jesus Christ will be saved, will be spared of the judgment of God. Because when we commit a crime, well, then there are consequences and disobedience to the laws of God, well, then that brings punishment. But Jesus, as the perfect one who obeyed the laws of God, did that for us so that whoever places their faith on Jesus Christ, they receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is credited to their account, and the unrighteousness of the individual is transferred to Jesus Christ who paid the penalty on the cross and died. And that is the message, that is the message we want you to believe in, that I would ask you to believe in if you have yet to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what Jesus has done for us. Now, does that mean that you are free to do whatever you wish, beloved? Does, then, does that mean that because Christ has fulfilled all the laws on our behalf and it's and fulfilled its intended purpose, does then that mean that there's nothing for nothing more for you to do. Absolutely not. It's like it's like marriage, right? The hard work begins. The hard work doesn't end when you put a ring on it. Though some of us probably wish that were the case. But that's when the real work begins. I said this quote before, and it's one of my favorite quotes, and it's it's relevant to this point, but I'll say it again. You I'm sure some of you will probably remember. But Jonathan Edwards once said that the that that pursuing the kingdom, or let's just say that pursuing the heart of God is not something that unbelievers do, but it is the chief business of the Christian. That is what their life is ultimately about, is pursuing the heart of God. And that's, that's what the Lord wants us to do. That's the, that's, that's the inherent purpose of the law. He wants people, He wants your affections. He wants your love. He wants you to pursue him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. He wants you to to love him. Just as he has loved you and sending his son to die for you on the cross. I don't know about you, but I, I would love for that to be written on my tombstone one day, that he pursued the heart of God. Whether the Lord takes me home, 10, 20, 50, 60 years from now, or even just a year from now, I want people to be able to say that he pursued the heart of God and that it was so clear. And I want that for you as well. And how are you doing with that? Are you pursuing the heart of God? Do you want to pursue the heart of God? And it's not, about, it's not just about external obedience. It's not about sinless perfection because that is never going to happen and neither does the Lord expect us to be sinlessly perfect. But I just think of David, right? David committed a lot of sins in his life and yet he's described as a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he pursued the Lord, because he loved God, because he desired to please the Lord. Right, and that's how you also. That's how you and I can be described as well. That no matter our sins, no matter what we go through, no matter how many mistakes we made, that the Lord can still consider you a son or a daughter. That is after His heart. I just think of, I just think of uh, my daughter Elena, you know, who who loves to obey and loves to please her parents. Kendallin is a work in progress. She's not really there yet, but but she is after the heart of her parents. And that's what the Lord wants for us as well. It's not just about external obedience. External obedience just leads to being a religious person. Jesus did not come to die on the cross for your sins so that you can be a religious person. Jesus came and died on the cross so that you can be a child of God who pursues the heart of their heavenly father. That's what is ultimately about. Jesus was always on the pursuit of God, and we know this because he was always desiring for God to be glorified. That was, that's why he did everything that he did, to glorify God. Right, and that's what we were put on this earth to do. That is why we were saved, so that we can glorify God, and we glorify God by pursuing the heart of God you know what? I can't teach you to pursue the heart of God. But that has to be, that has to be a decision that you make. That has to be a commitment in your heart to always pursue the heart of the Lord, to pursue his affections, to be fully engaged. Where we, can be, we can be affectionate. We can pursue a lot of things, right from the Patriots, to the Red Sox, to things that we like, to different hobbies, right? We're not, it's not that we don't know how to pursue things. It's a matter of what we are pursuing. And that's, and so the Lord asks, where is your heart? What are you pursuing? It's not that pursuing other things is bad, unless there are bad for you. But what are you ultimately, what are you most pursuing? And is it his heart? And that is how we ultimately glorify the Lord. And this actually segues into a sermon for next week as we go into the Advent and looking at an Advent passage and seeking and seeing how that also, how the Advent season glorifies God. But for now, just think internally, ask yourself, how am I doing? How am I pursuing the Lord? And does it show, am I committed to pursuing his heart? Because that's ultimately what the Lord wants. And you're enabled to do that. You can do that because he's giving you his spirit. Apart from the spirit, you have no desire to pursue the heart of the Lord. And so you already have what you need. That is the spirit of God living within you. It's just a matter of walking daily in the pursuit of the heart of God. And that is where we find the most joy That is where we find the most contentment and the most peace. And that is what glorifies the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we we see your example in the Gospels. Your aim was always to pursue the glory of God. Because you had a heart that was after the heart of your father, Lord. And if we are honest with ourselves, we just don't—we don't measure up. I confess to you, Lord, that I—I I don't do a well enough job of doing that. I could be doing much better, Lord. But I—I. I, I, We just thank you because you don't look down on us dismissively or even with judgment, Lord. But you want what's best for us. And what is best for us is for us to to know who you are. And that's why Jeremiah chapter 9 that the one who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me. God, would you write that in our hearts? That we would want that. That we would know you so intimately and so personally, Lord. How could we not? Because you are the God who made us and the God who saved us through Jesus Christ. So help us to be a people who is pursuing the heart of our Heavenly Father, that we would make it our aim to please you in all that we do and all that we say and even in all that we think. Thank you, Lord, because you've given us your spirit to be able to do that. May you fill us with a, a holy desire to pursue you, not just today, not just tomorrow, not just for this week, but every single day of our lives, because this is what we will be doing for the rest of eternity, is knowing you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.